Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 11 at verse 28, and you'll find it on page 1514 of the church Bible. While you're turning to Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, let me encourage those who are watching from home for the first time or perhaps later this week that when here in the sanctuary we pause and pray, please feel free to do that at home as well. When we open up the Scriptures, have a Bible on your lap and follow clearly our study each Sunday morning because the last thing we want as a congregation is for you to feel simply a spectator. We would much rather you be a participator and fully engage in the service here as well. Before I begin our reading this morning, it's clearly been a very busy morning here with children leading in worship and then welcoming, of course, confirmands and new members. We're absolutely thrilled and delighted for you, so thank you for taking that step of faith. And so, as a congregation, this place is getting busier and busier. It was packed in Ignite and busy at 8.30 as well. So, thank you for who you are and for seeking to grow and develop in your relationship with Christ. So, thank you. Last Sunday morning, we began with Matthew chapter 11, the first few verses looking at John the Baptist, and it's very rare we spend two Sundays in the same chapter, but here we are at the end of chapter 11, and reading for what is probably some of the best-known words in all of Matthew's gospel. Jesus says these words, "'Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. About ten days or so ago, someone sent me the following meme. And I thought it was so good that I wanted to share it with you this morning. And it reads like this, what's the difference between Dubai and Abu Dhabi? People from Dubai don't like the Flintstones, but people from Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> Some of you will get that later today, but when I first read it, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I thought it was so funny, in fact, and choir, bear with me on this as I tell this story. I told it to two 20-year-olds last week, and they looked at each other, and then they looked at me and said, huh? <laughs> they had no concept of who the Flintstones are. Can you imagine that, growing up not knowing who Barney Rubble is and looking at your next-door neighbor and thinking he looks like Barney Rubble? Why am I beginning in this ridiculous, absurd manner? Well, quite simply this, that whenever we come to a passage of Scripture that we think we know well, it is always worth pausing and asking the question, not only do I know it, but do I fully understand it, and then do I actually apply it and live it out in the course of the week? 
and that's where we're going this morning. In fact, chapter 11 opens with the words we saw last Sunday morning, famous words. They appear five times in Matthew's gospel. They introduce a new section of the gospel, as most of you know. And the words are this, when Jesus was finished saying these things, or when Jesus was finished instructing these things. And we said last Sunday, or at least we asked the question, why is it that Jesus spends so much time teaching preaching, instructing, discipling his closest friends. And the reason is this, that instructions, instruction leads to understanding. Understanding leads to application, and application leads to growth, development, and maturity. Now, that is true if you are taking up golf for the first time. Instruction you need a coach to help you with your stance and your grip and to watch where the weight is and to watch the backswing and then to watch the follow-through. It's the same if you're learning tennis. It's forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand, up against a wall till it becomes second nature to you. It's the same for wee ones learning to read. Instruction, sounding, understanding, then to application. And likewise for us, it is never enough on Sunday morning to open up the Scriptures, engage with the text of the gospel, and then don't pay attention to it again till the following Sunday. It's in the application that we grow. It's in application that we become obedient. It's in the application that we desire holiness and purity and moral character. And that's where Christ begins to shape us and form us and change us and develop us. It's in the application, the living out of our faith. And so, this morning as we come to this well-known passage, that's exactly where we're going. But let me begin with an illustration. Imagine you know someone famous, so famous, in fact, they are a household name. And when someone who knows you learns that you know them, they will often ask, wow, how do you know them? How long have you known them, been friends with them? And then usually by the time you get to the third question, they're asking the question they wanted to ask at the beginning, but were a little hesitant to ask. And the question, of course, is what are they really like. Now, if you know a master's champion, or an Oscar winner, or a Pulitzer Prize winner, you want to know are they the same on your television screen or the big screen at the cinema as they are in private? What are they really like? And in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, you see exactly what Jesus is really like. For some of us, the question's been asked of us, hasn't it? You apply for a new job, a promotion at work, a job with a different company in a different state. Someone will inevitably, usually from HR, work their way through your resume, get a feel and a sense of who you are, and they will be asking the same questions that are asked as someone applying for college. They'll be asking, are they dependable? Will they turn up on time? 
Will they do a good job? Are they thorough? How will they respond when there's unforeseen setbacks or challenge in the middle of a major project? For college students, it's will they turn up to class? Will they hand in assignments? Will they complete the reading and the submission? Will they do the tests at the end of each semester or at the end of the academic year? Are they dependable? That's the question that's been asked. And here, as we come to this passage, we see a passage that is striking and singular in its teaching content, a passage that is incredibly relevant for us. And the interesting dynamic is this, and some of you will have already picked up on it in what I'm saying this morning. We're not asking what was Jesus truly like because Sunday morning, we don't simply look back at the first century through a historical lens, helpful as the historical context is. We ask, what is He like today? Not what was He like, but what is He like? And the passage tells us exactly that. And so, we come to it and ask, what does he mean when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened? Come to me. It's a little like, and some of you have been there, a parent teaching a wee one who's 14, 16 months old, you're teaching them to swim. And when you take them to the pool the first couple of times, they can see the other children enjoying themselves, especially if they have brothers and sisters. And dad very gently goes down the steps, takes the wee one with him, gently puts water up over her shoulders and then round her ears and her face, then over her head to give her a feel for what it's like being in water. And then eventually all dads do what all mothers don't want them to do. They will inevitably take the wee one and stand the wee one on the edge of the pool and then say, jump, come on. And mothers are going, no, 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 it's too early. It's awfully early. And dad's going, I've got it. You'll be fine. And then, of course, the wee one looks at you. Now, if you and I ask dad to step out the way and we would catch the wee one, the wee one's instantly going to step back because they don't know us. We haven't wrestled with them on the floor. We haven't built Legos with them. We haven't tucked them into bed at night, read them stories, prayed with them. There's no relationship there. But when there is a relationship there and you say, come on, jump, the wee one gets right to the edge, and then what? Eventually learns to launch herself towards the parent. And the parent, of course, catches as there's all these giggles and fun going on. And it's an absolute joy and thrill. That's what's going on here. Come to me. Take that step of faith. I've got you. I'm not going to let you go. You're mine. Come to me. Be intentional. In other words, it's not enough Sunday morning to come and enjoy great worship and music watch new members joining, children being baptized, and say, isn't it great to be part of a busy, vibrant congregation? Yes, it is. 
But when he says, come to me, it's an invite into a relationship. And if that relationship is there, he's saying, let's go deeper. Let's take it to the next level. Come to me. And what you discover, of course, is when you do, there is the thrill and the joy and the deep abiding intimacy of being held by Him, held close by Him, renewed and refreshed by Him. All of that is going on here. That's why He says, come to me, all of you. Now, the passage is perfectly straightforward, but it's powerfully significant when you start to apply it. Perfectly straightforward, yet powerfully significant. In seminary, when you begin to look at a passage of Scripture, there is what's called the hermeneutical principle. And the hermeneutical principle is this. What phrasing is the biblical author using? What expressions does the individual use? What is the focus of what is being said? And then you begin to ask, is it metaphorical? Is it literal? Is it wisdom literature? Is it apocalyptical literature? Is it gospel literature, which is a genre in its own right? And so, all those questions are running through your mind as you come to a passage of Scripture. But in the language used here by Matthew, it is crystal clear that Matthew comes from southern Galilee. And we can see that definitively because if you see the language, look at it again. Come to me, all you. And he's southern Galilee because when you translate it out of the original Greek into English, it's come to me, all y'all. It's as simple as that. It's right there. It's right there. Now, some of you are wondering why people around you are laughing and smirking because you were asleep, so pay attention. (laughs) Come to me, all of you. It's as inclusive as it gets, and all you all is a good way of expressing it. It's as simple as that. It's everyone, it's anyone, whatever your background, whatever your status, come to me, all of you. Now, remember at the beginning, well, let me do it this way, if we're saying the beginning of chapter 11 is over here. Last Sunday morning, you'll remember John the Baptist had been arrested and incarcerated. He'd been in prison for several months, and he sends friends to Jesus to say, are you the Messiah who is to come, or should I expect someone else? And we said last Sunday morning, or at least we explored the possibility that John, of course, was living in isolation and solitude. And when you exist in isolation and solitude, your imagination starts to run riot. And I suggested last Sunday, and can only suggest this, the text doesn't say it, but it's reasonable to say John was having a tough time, discouraged, distracted, beginning to doubt, are you the one, even though he'd baptized him a couple of years earlier? And now he is saying, is he the one? And when hopes and dreams and disappointments become derailed and crash into the reality of everyday life, that can be a painful experience. 
That can be so painful that our mind goes into overdrive when we try to resolve it in our own mind and emotionally and psychologically. We're running fast and hard, don't see any answers, and then, of course, we start that downward spiral. I never expected this to go well. I've always failed in the past. And start telling yourself you are unloved, uncared for. You will never amount to anything, and you start wounding yourself emotionally and psychologically, and you start beating up on yourself, and you are fluttering and panicking, and in the midst of all of that devaluing of your significance and your training and your expertise and your relationships and family and friends who love you, and you're pushing all of that to one side, in the process, we sometimes also push our closest friend and our greatest advocate away from us because we fall into the temptation of what's the point of praying? It never results in anything, and if God truly loved me anyway, I would never be in this position. What is He playing at? And we go deeper and deeper and deeper into that spiral. And here is Jesus saying, come to me. Make an effort. Step this way. Take that step of faith. Last Sunday morning, we described all of that mental activity with that popular phrase, you're stinking thinking. And it's hard to stop that stinking thinking. It's very difficult because for some of us, it is an old behavioral pattern. It is jaded and out of date and well-worn, but we still go back to it and have ourselves a pity party. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to live there. Life is so much greater with me than this. Come to me. Come. Sit with me. Let me engage with you. Talk with you. Let me refresh and renew you and bring rest to your soul. What does He mean, rest to your soul? I don't think he's talking about lying in on a cold Saturday morning when you don't have to be up for work. I don't think he means that on a Sunday afternoon you can doze in and out of consciousness lying on the couch watching the sports results come in. I don't think that's what he means. Is physical, physical rest important? Of course, it, of course it is. It's a must for all of us. And we need to be careful, especially in those moments when we're spiraling down. But here he is saying, find rest for your soul. Find rest emotionally. Find rest spiritually, psychologically. After the 8.30 service this morning, a young lady said to me, Richard, I have been trying all week after last Sunday to put down the burdens I'm carrying. I've tried to stop my stinking thinking, and I can't. I just can't do it. I've been trying all week long. And I had to say to her, it doesn't happen overnight. You can't change a lifetime of habits like a light switch. 
But what you can do is take that first step and say, Father, I can't do this on my own. I need Your strength. I need Your enabling. I need Your equipping grace. That's why He says, come to me. Otherwise, He'd say, let me wind you up, put you down, and off you go. He says, come to me. And in fact, the passage goes further. Notice what He says. Come to me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and then you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. What does he mean by that? Well, in the ancient Near East in the first century, a yoke was made for usually two oxen to pull a plow or a heavy cart, a burden and the yoke was often specifically made for specific oxen. And please hear this. It's no wonder a carpenter's son would talk about a wooden yoke, because I suspect he had fashioned them and shaped them according to the height and width of the oxen because if it didn't fit right, it would irritate, and it would rub, and eventually a blister would appear, and that blister would then become infected, and the oxen was taken out of commission and couldn't do what it was made to do. And when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, what is He saying? He's saying, I will walk along with you. Let me take the burden let me carry the heavy load. Let me show you and teach you how it's done. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because I'm carrying it, and all you have to do is come to me and walk alongside me. That's exactly what's going on here. Do you remember last summer, April and May, we spent multiple Sundays in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, and we said that Hebrews chapter 11, that great portrait gallery of faith, it highlights for us one person after another after another throughout biblical history whose lives were defined by faith. And one of the principles we took out of that series was this. We don't have to have it all worked out, but trust that He already has that's when you can put it down. That's when you can stop your stinking thinking. That's when you put an end to the pity party and say, Father, this is beyond me. I can't manage it. I can't handle it. But I need you at the center of it to enable me to rest in you. And when you're there, that's the application part, following the instruction, following the understanding. That's when you put it down and rest. That's what the passage is teaching us. Do you remember back in January, we gave out some bookmarks to go along with our study in Matthew's Gospel Choir? Do you remember that, where we put all sorts of dates and times, Sundays, and what passages we were looking at? And then on the back of it, we also put five or six questions to help us as we moved into a new year. And one of the questions was this, are there anxieties, doubts, and emotions that I need to leave behind as I enter 2024? 
I wonder for some of us this week if that's a question we need to wrestle with again. What if you and I were sitting down over a cup of coffee and I asked you the question, are there anxieties, doubts, and emotions that you need to leave behind? You might get a little embarrassed and say, well, Richard, when you gave me the bookmark, I was full of good intentions, and I thought, I'll put it in my Bible, I'll pay attention to it, and quite honestly, I've ignored it. It's right there. I see it every Sunday. When I open it up, it's there, but I've ignored it. Come to me. Be intentional. Put down the burdens. Pray for His enabling grace and His help. Let Him shape the burdens in your life. Let Him carry them. Let Him walk alongside you. Feel His tender touch. When you are in a situation where you have been ravaged and hurt and wounded by disappointment, sometimes poor decisions sometimes bad lifestyle choices, sometimes quite simply put, sin itself. Those are the moments where you have to say, Father, forgive me. I've wandered. I've been stupid. I've acted like a jerk. Please forgive me. And the other times where it has been circumstance that have beat you up and left you wounded. Father, renew me. Father, refresh me. Let me take your yoke because you are gentle and humble. We started this morning by asking, what is Jesus really like? And the passage is perfectly clear, powerfully significant. And my prayer for you this morning and this week is this, that you will be able to put down burdens and cares and disappointments, and that you will be able to stop your stinking thinking, those old patterns of behavior that determined and defined who you are, and that the words of this passage will become a living reality for you this week. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and there you will find rest for your soul. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You that You are indeed gentle and humble of heart. This week, as we seek to put down patterns of the past, as we seek to move on from poor decisions and bad lifestyle choices, as we seek to be refreshed and renewed by You, allow us, please, as we come to You, to stand in Your presence amazed at Your grace and love for us. Father, help us, please, to apply all we have learned this morning and to live out our faith this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.